Thank you, Lisa and Karen. It's always a joy to witness people using the gifts that God has given them. Amen? That is special. Would you please stand to honor God's Word as we read together from 1 Corinthians chapter 9? For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Thank you. Please be seated. That is a familiar section of Scripture. About day one in, uh, in preaching class, when they're trying to uh, teach you what to pay attention to, they say, go through and circle the word that you see repeated most frequently, and it's likely to tell you what God's trying to talk about. Uh, what word do you think we're talking about today? Yeah. Become is in there a lot. Win is in there a lot. About nine times in those five or six verses, uh, Paul tells us we're talking about winning today. And indeed we are. But we're going to talk about what God's definition of winning is. We know what our cultural definition of winning is. Our culture may tell us that winning is a, <coughs> a bigger house, more money in the bank, a nicer car. Uh, the, the bumper sticker says... Um, he who has the most toys wins, right? Or who has the biggest toys wins. Uh, that is what the world would have us chase after, but we know that that is not the truth, that that is not the case. Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus lays out in another, in another letter that he's written to a church and the idea of what our winning might actually include and what we must do to win, we're going to talk about what Paul says to this church in Corinth about winning, but in uh, the book of Ephesians in chapter 6, verse 12, Paul writes this in regard to what the struggle, what the competition is. He says, and you may be familiar with it, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness, in the heavenly places. Our battle and our challenge, our goal to win, is not in an accumulation of things, but our win comes at the expense of the defeat of darkness and of the things that the devil would want to introduce into our world. The way that the devil would want to trap people, the way that the devil would love to see people lose their lives. He would love to steal and kill and destroy and our mission as Christians and followers of Christ is to win that battle. But first, we've got to understand what our battle is against. And so Paul goes on to, 
to, to tell us you have to become, he says in his own words, I have become all things to all people. And he takes several verses to make his point. He becomes a Jew. Why? So that he may reach the Jews and that some Jews might be saved. The Jews being the citizens and the religious part of the community in his world. He says, I become like those under the law. Those people who know about the law of Moses, and maybe they're not the religious elite, but they're under the law of God. And he says, I become like them. Why? So that I might win some for Christ. I become like the weak. Why? Because in Paul's mission, in what he's sharing with us, he's telling us, because to become like that weak person might allow him to win some of the weak to Jesus Christ. Paul's challenge to us in what we find in these scriptures, even in the, in the chapter previous where he talks about the things that we should eat or the things that we should not eat, the things that we should drink, he talks about the liberty and the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. But always Paul's, Paul's one acknowledgement we find in verse 12, which was a little bit before what we read just now. And he says this, Nevertheless, we did not use these rights, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. In Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, he is explaining to all of these church folks that in Jesus Christ we have liberty, we don't have the rule of what we can eat and not eat or drink and not drink. And he's talked about eating food to idols in verses previous and whether you can do it or whether you, you can't do it. And he says, you know, to God, he looks at your heart. All of these things are just rules. But if it creates a hindrance for someone else, that becomes what we should be concerned about. Does our life testimony create a hindrance to someone else? That should be our concern, because in no way should we live in our freedom in a way that causes someone else to stumble or have difficulty getting to Christ. We have to lose our sense of superiority, whether we own it or whether it's accidental. It's not uncommon, and allow me to speak honestly, for Christians to, to walk with an air of superiority over the world, over the sin, over the evil, over the news that we see happening all around us because we recognize that Jesus Christ is more powerful and more graceful than any of these things. Yet when we walk with an attitude of superiority, we are sending a message to those around us that is exactly the opposite of what Paul has told us in these verses which we read together. Because to walk with an air of superiority, to leave people to, to discover on their own what they need, to, to, to work through their problems on their own, to recognize that, that they've got stuff to deal with, but you need to figure that out, and then later on we'll get together. 
That's exactly the opposite of what Paul has told us when he says, I become all things to all people so that I might reach some. See, the, the, the end of a life, and whether it's connected to Jesus Christ, is immeasurably valuable. In fact, some places Paul says in another part of the Scripture that he would give his life He would give his eternity if all of his brothers, if all of the Jews would only come to know Jesus Christ. He considers that so valuable in hyperbolic terms that he would give up his own salvation for everyone else to be able to know Jesus. There's a value, there's a worth in eternity that impacts each and every one of us, that should motivate each and every one of us to leave no one on their own to find Jesus. God has saved us and left us here. He could have zapped you to heaven when he saved you, but he left you here. And I believe that he left us here because there's work to be done and there's people that need to know him. And part of our role is to become whatever we need to become so that someone might find Jesus. It's no more complicated than that. Sometimes it's difficult for us because we put on our happy face when we come to church or or we have an expectation or a reputation of what church life should be like. And I've seen firsthand as as a young staff person uh, attempted to to put together, he was from a country where uh, they don't play football. Imagine that. But they play rugby, which is like football without pads. So imagine that. And so he created at this university a rugby program from scratch, and I would help him kind of meet with the administrators to to try to get that started, to get a rugby club formed so that they could reach young men, so that he could gather young men and teach them rugby. And, and he said, I think I can get a bunch of guys together and we can experience this. And I'm telling you, it took some work. And in the rugby world, you know, we've been watching World Cup lately and everybody looks like a male model. And they roll around on the ground when they get their hair messed up. Rugby, you just pick your tooth up off the ground and put it back in and keep going. <laughs> it's a rough thing. Um, But he gathered a a large group, you know, 20 young men together. Most of these young men had had never grown up in church, didn't have any church experience. And so he began to teach them rugby and meet with them weekly, Um, eventually having a weekly Bible study with them and eventually helping several of them uh, come back around to their school and their grades so that they weren't having to leave in the semester, that they could continue their education. Some of them began to come to church with him, and it kind of became known around the church building that this rugby thing is going on, and we're associated with it, and that's a wonderful thing. So some church folks went out one Saturday afternoon to the rugby match, and on Sunday afternoon, there was great wailing and gnashing of teeth over the language that they heard, and the fact that this team that showed up to play 
pulled a bunch of ice chests out of the back of their pickups after the rugby match was over. And, and those teammates shared a beer with each other and sat around and talked about the game and how difficult it was to, to have the church associated with that kind of messiness and that kind of, of unpleasantness. And perhaps the church doesn't need to be associated with that group and maybe shouldn't be sponsoring any part of that work. Sometimes we have to become all things to all people so that we can reach some, so that some may be one to Jesus Christ. There are young men on that rugby team who will spend eternity with God because that young man decided, I will get there and I will get dirty with them, and I know they're going to use some language, and I know there's going to be an ice chest full of beer that comes out of somebody's car at the end of that match, but we can grow past that because I have to reach them where they are. And he was able to do that. And it was the church people, it was the Jews, it was, it was the religious people, it was the ones with the law who seemed to have a problem with that. And that's disheartening. And that's an air of superiority. That when we show up here, that we get to act a certain way and put on a happy face, that the people that come in the door that we might encounter during the course of our week aren't quite eligible yet to come in here with us. And that's not the way it should be. That's the opposite of what we're asked to do. That is creating a hindrance. It's like the, 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 parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. You, you look at that, and there's two worldviews when you look at that story. There's, there's people that have the question, if I help that person, how is it going to affect me? And what's it going to cost me? I need to decide, am I going to do something about that? What's the impact on me going to be? The other world view, I would say the view of Jesus Christ is to look at that person and say, how's it going to affect him if I don't act? What's it going to cost her if I don't act? That's what Paul's talking to us about. Looking at people that we encounter in such a way that we become very much aware of what is the impact on them if I don't invite them to come and meet Jesus? What's the impact on them if I can't take time to get a little dirty and messy? What's the impact? What's the cost on them if they die and do not know Jesus Christ? The most horrible of every cost, every impact that we could imagine is to die without Jesus. It takes work to become that humble and that servant-minded. To set aside our own desires and our own comfort so that some might be one for Jesus. But it's what we're called to do. Paul says to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men. Why do we have to do it that way? Because the Word became flesh and dwelt among men, 
that we might recognize his glory because Jesus did it that way. And that's enough for us. Because Jesus became all things to all people so that people might be saved, so that mankind might be saved. <coughs> Jesus became a teacher so that teachers might be saved. Jesus became a carpenter so that some carpenters might be saved. He became a son as a son so that some sons might be saved. He became as a brother so that brothers and sisters might be saved. He became as a citizen so that some citizens might be saved. He became as someone persecuted so that the persecuted might be saved. He became as someone abused so that the abused might be saved. He became as a hungry person so that the hungry might be saved. He became as a friend so that friends might be saved. He became a troublemaker so that troublemakers might be saved. He became as a homeless person so that the homeless might be saved. He became as someone invited to dinners and parties so that partiers might be saved. He became as a church person so that church people might be saved. He became as a person born into this world so that everyone born into this world might be saved. Why do we become all things to all people? Because Jesus Christ did it first. And that's how important it is. For some to be one, so that any might be one to the salvation of Jesus Christ. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness, righteousness of God in him. That's the ultimate becoming as the weak. In order to reach the weak, how about becoming as those with sin so that the sinful might be one. That was what Jesus Christ accomplished. Are we willing to be something, anything, so that someone might be one to Jesus Christ? The good news is that Jesus Christ is the win. Paul says in verses 23 through 27, why does he... Why does he do this? I do this so that some might be one, but also for the sake of the gospel. Because the power of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power that comes with, with Jesus and his ability to change lives on earth, every one of us has a testimony of things that have happened in our lives where we can give Jesus the credit. We were all saved from something. We would be something terrible and something we would never want to be if it were not for the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. And yet there are people who are walking by us every day who have not had that transforming experience yet. And they need it. They must have it. And so God's Word tells us, become what is necessary 
so that that person might be one for Jesus. Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. How can that be so? How is it to live as Christ? Because Christ isn't a reward. He isn't a medal. He isn't the insurance policy for when we die that we get later on when we get to go to heaven. Christ is what we get to live with. He comes to live with us and in us and transform us, and He makes life different. And the Spirit of God in our hearts enables us to commune with Him and experience things that we cannot do otherwise. That is the win (coughs) that we get right now. (coughs) And when we die, (coughs) excuse me, we gain Jesus face to face. To die is to see Jesus, to be with Jesus, to have Jesus every moment. The Jesus whose love and peace and joy is incomparable and beyond our wildest imagination. For some, to die is loss. To die is to find a hell that is beyond their worst nightmare, a a place without peace, full of pain, separated from God and all that God is. Is there anyone that we would wish that kind of eternity on? No. We don't want anyone to go to hell. We get distracted and tired and sometimes forget that it is our work to help keep that from happening. You remember the movie Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory? The good one? Not the new one? At the very, very end of that, uh, little uh, Charlie and Uncle Joe are in Willy Wonka's office and everybody, all the rest of the misbehaviors, misbehaviors have gone their way. And, and, and so Willy Wonka sits down at his desk and begins to write, and Uncle Joe says, what about the lifetime supply of chocolate that Charlie's supposed to get? And you remember the shock, and it seems so unfair at that moment that, that Willy Wonka turns and looks at him and says, wrong. You lose You get nothing. You broke the rules. You get nothing. And how unfair and unjust that seemed in that moment, regardless of your age. But there are people that are walking by us who think that they're being good enough to get to heaven because they've not killed anybody or they've not done a list of bad things compared to Adolf Hitler. And they think they're good enough to get there. And one day they're going to stand there and it's going to be wrong. You get nothing. If you don't have Jesus, you get nothing. And their whole life they thought they were doing enough. And they passed by church people who said, we'll let them figure it out. We are called to do more than that. 
We don't want anyone in Waco to go to hell. We'll say it this way. I don't think we want anyone in Waco to go to hell without first having to pass through Columbus Avenue Baptist Church. You may not hear a preacher say that very much, but if anybody's going to hell around here, I want them to come through here first. I want everyone, and I believe that that, that is our heart as a church. It's why we do so many things. But, but maybe we've lost a little bit of our intentionality. That maybe we should decide that no one that God brings into our circle, into our contact, gets to go to hell until they've come through Columbus Avenue and made that choice on their own. Because when that happens, we can say we've become all things to all people so that some might be one for Jesus. Because when the people of God get burdened and decide that that I don't want people going to hell until they've had a chance to hear what Jesus can do, to see what the people of God can do in love, to see what happens to families and lives and marriages and children, when the grace of Jesus Christ permeates everything, when we know how that works, and it's our testimony, when do we get excited enough for people wandering the world lost to get that message? Because we're living in a world now where you can't open the door and then stand here and wait for them to come in. That culture is gone That day is gone. There are now two generations of people raised that are considered unchurched generations. When most of us grew up, going to church was a cultural thing to do. We were exposed to Jesus at an age, sometimes at an early age, at a later age, but the thing was to go to church. There are now millions and millions and millions and tens of millions of people who were not raised that way, and they are not going to come into this building no matter how unlocked and open the doors are, until someone taps them on the shoulder and says, why don't you come with me? Why don't you come with me and see what this is about? You know, I think Jesus is the difference maker for you. Why don't you come and see what he's about? Because all of the polls and all of the studies now say, you know what? The generations now currently respond to that invitation like nothing before because they're, they're struggling and they're wanting their life to be different and changed, but everything they grab a hold of in the world does not fulfill and doesn't accomplish it. And they know there's something and they've heard of this church thing, but every one of their conversations about God is full of ridicule or someone trying to embarrass them. They need Christians to take them by the arm and say, come with me and see what this Jesus thing is about because I think it will change your life. That is how we partner with people. Paul says, I do these things so that I can participate in the gospel, that I can share in the glory of the gospel. 
a birthday party and you're the only one there, not much fun. Super Bowl party, when our great-grandchildren finally get to witness the Cowboys in a Super Bowl. If you're there by yourself, it's not much fun. See, even in this life, we understand that to be gathered together and to celebrate victory is a joy. It's more fun that way. And Paul says the gospel is not any different than that. Imagine the joy of sharing the most extreme celebration kind of moment, but then having that person celebrate it with you forever with the people that you love and the people that you get to celebrate Jesus with forever. Imagine that kind of celebration. It takes partners. In the 2002 Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City, the speed track skating is one of the most entertaining events. It's the short track, and, and they skate around it. It takes no time at all to do a lap, less than like eight seconds. And in the finals of that, an Australian by the name of Stephen Bradbury had had his best days ever leading up to that and had somehow made it to the final medal round, medal race of that. But Apollo Ono, the American, was the favorite, and there was a South Korean guy and two Chinese guys, and everybody does this race seconds faster than Bradbury. But he won his heat, and he made it to the last race. And so off they go, and he's last in 10 laps around this thing, and they're skating and leaning. It's impossible to figure out how they do it. And he's last, and they come around the very last lap. It's going to be about six or seven seconds, and here they go. And he's so far behind that the announcers are not even talking about him anymore because now it's going to be, is Ono going to win it? Is the American going to win it? Is the Chinese guy going to win it? And they make the last turn in the last 30 feet to get to the finish line, and one of those favorites falls and takes out the guy next to him, who takes out the guy next to him, and the other guy tries to hurdle, and all four of them go sliding into the wall, and finally around the curve, here comes Stephen Bradbury. And he's looking around, and he crosses the finish line, and he wins a gold medal not because he was the fastest, but because he did everything that he needed to do to get there. And you know who else won won with him? His coach won with him. His trainers won with him. His family won with him. His friends won with him. His country won with him. All the people that partnered with him in his desire to be an Olympic skater One, when he won that day, the gospel of Jesus Christ is no different. When one person is one, everybody celebrates and wins with them because eternity never ends. The Greeks used to have a race, much like the marathon, not quite as long. Every runner had a torch. Off they would go. The first person to cross the finish line wasn't necessarily the winner. You know how you had to win that race? You had to finish, the first one to finish with their torch lit was the winner. 
See, they had to run, and they had to cover ground, but they had to keep their torch lit. They had to keep their torch shining and bright because they had to travel the course, but yet not let the fire go out. And when they crossed the finish line and that, and that torch was still bright and lit and could be seen, that was the person that won. And for Christians, we can look at that and go, you know what? Yeah, I can meander through my life and one day I'm going to die and it's time for me to go home and I'll win. In the meantime, Paul says, are you making it harder for people to get into your church than it is for them to get into heaven? Because the win comes when evil is defeated because of the power of Jesus Christ in the lives of people that we know. And we are called to become whatever is necessary to make that happen. So what are you willing to give up? What are you willing to become? What are the things you can consider today and in the days ahead? In that moment, I appreciate the fact that most of our senior ladies have stopped giving me a hard time about my ponytail. <laughs> but there's been days when I have thought when that long-haired person comes wandering up looking for somebody to talk to, can I be that one that's easy enough to approach? Can you be the one who, that that person can approach? Can you be the one that, that, that has become easy to talk to and, and interested in people and concerned about them and that's what becoming what someone else is, is you go to where they are so they can approach you and say, help me know what to do about my life. We're not all called to be Billy Grahams. We're all called to become all things to all people so that some might be one to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that when Jesus left the comfort of heaven to come to earth, he gave up everything to become like us, to take on sin that we so easily embrace that he came down to, to deal with, with a humanity full of rebellion. But he became like us so that he could pay the price for us, so that we could be saved, so that we would not perish, so that we could have lives of fruitfulness and abundance. He did it for us. Father, help us to be sharers of that good news. Help us to be more concerned about the cost to someone if we don't. Father, I pray that for each and every one out there who has never trusted in Christ, 
to be that forgiveness of sin, that today would be the day that they would pray to you and say, I'm sorry, I want Jesus. Help us to be that church. Help our community pass through here if they're ever to see the gates of hell. That we might share and win with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.